Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Cultural Podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. This episode will be dedicated entirely to the grueling two-week-long international break that concluded on Tuesday. In part one, I'll recap the Italian national team results with a focus on Giovanni Di Lorenzo and Matteo Politano. In part two, I'll continue our recap of Napoli players competing in Nations League action. That includes Piotr Zielinski for Poland, Dries Mertens for Belgium, Amir Rachmani for Kosovo, and Stanislav Lobotka for Slovakia. Finally, in part 3, I'll round out the Nations League and quickly review the performances of our players at AFCON and in international friendlies. That part will include Hvica Kvarashkelia for Georgia, Elif Elmas for North Macedonia, Kaladu Koulibaly for Senegal, Victor Osimhen for Nigeria, Andre Frank Zambuangisa for Cameroon, Adam Unas for Algeria, and Matthias Oliveira for Uruguay. So let's begin with the Azzurri who played 5 matches during this international break starting with the Finalissima against Argentina followed by 4 Nations League matches. We lost the Finalissima 3-0 and then in the Nations League Ligue Group C we drew Germany 1-1, beat Hungary 2-1, drew England 0-0 and got thumped 5-2 in the return leg against Germany. That win against Hungary can't be understated, though they picked up two wins and a draw in their other three matches, and as a result, are top of the table with seven points. Germany are second with six points, followed by Italy with five points, and England on two points. There are two matches remaining, and they will be played during the international break in September. Of the five Napoli players that got the call-up, 
Giovanni Di Lorenzo and Matteo Politano got the most playing time over the five matches. Insignia was a late scratch for the Finalissima with a reported calf injury, so he didn't play in any of those matches. Alex Meret did not feature at all. In fact, he wasn't even in the squad for the second match against Germany. Mancini started Donnarumma in all five matches, which I think makes a lot of sense. Donnarumma's playing time with PSG was limited this season, so this was an opportunity to play him without taking on too much risk of injury as compared to some of the outfield players. I think Mancini has already decided that Donnarumma will be the starting keeper for a while. I think the clear message from Mancini during this international break was that very few players have a guaranteed spot for the next Euros. I think Donnarumma is one of those players. We'll talk about Di Lorenzo in a moment, but it seems like he secured his spot as well. There are a handful of other players who seem like sure things as well, guys like Bastoni, Barella, and Pellegrini to name a few, but there are plenty of positions up for grabs, and it was quite clear that Mancini was using these matches to try different combinations of players together, which makes perfect sense to me. I saw a lot of people criticizing the team's play, particularly after the loss to Germany, and I couldn't help but think that these people were completely missing the point. For Italy especially, these Nations League matches were and are glorified friendlies. I don't need to remind anyone that Italy did not qualify for the World Cup. So unlike most nations in League A who use these matches to prepare for the World Cup, we had the freedom to experiment. That's exactly what Mancini did, and it was great to see. He played a lot of youngsters. I think in one of the broadcasts, they mentioned that 21 different players started over the first three matches in the Nations League, which is really quite remarkable. Wilfried Nonto stole the headlines, but we got to see a lot of young players like Federico Gatti, Giorgio Scalvini, Davide Calabria, Davide Fratesi, Sandro Tonali, Salvatore Esposito, Samuele Ricci, Tommaso Pobega, Matteo Cancellieri, Giacomo Raspadori, and Gianluca Scamacca. Even Napoli-owned Alessio Zerbin made a brief appearance in the Hungary match, and I thought he fared quite well. He made a couple of pressures that resulted in Hungary turning the ball over, and he had an attempt at goal late in the match. He's much bigger than I thought he was, and he looked very comfortable playing with top players, so I'm sure he will get a look from Spalletti this summer. Likewise, some people complained about the squad we fielded against Argentina. I get there was a trophy at stake, but as far as I'm concerned, the Finalissima was just another glorified friendly. Now, who knows, maybe I wouldn't have said that if Italy won the match, but it was clear that Mancini was rewarding the players who won the Euros, by playing them in that match, and that was far from our best starting 11 at that point in time. So I don't take too much away from the performance itself. We had a lot of guys in that squad who will not be part of the national team going forward. Alright, so let's talk specifically about the play of Di Lorenzo and Politano during this international break, starting with Di Lorenzo. Di Lorenzo played the full 90 minutes in two matches, the Finalissima and the Nations League match against England. He was rested for the first match against Germany and he was on the bench for the other two matches but did not feature. Now, Di Lorenzo did not have his best match against Argentina, but I don't think he was as poor as some people were suggesting. Actually, I thought he was quite good for the opening quarter of the match. He made a couple of calm defensive plays in our area. Unfortunately, he had the tough task of defending a highly motivated Leo Messi who showed on that day that he is still one of the best players in the world. I haven't watched a whole lot of Liga or La Liga before that, but I suspect that was one of his best performances in the last few years. Di Lorenzo was beat by Messi on the first goal, and he was one of a number of Azzurri players Messi victimized after he picked Jorginho's pocket in the second half, but Donnarumma bailed them all out on that occasion. And then, of course, there was the picture of Messi sticking his finger in Di Lorenzo's face, 
That was after a pretty heavy tackle by Di Lorenzo on Messi while Argentina were showboating with a healthy lead. As a defender, I fully support Di Lorenzo making that tackle. When you are down in a match and the opponent showboats, you take out a player to send a message. Di Lorenzo sent a nice loud message by taking out Messi of all people. Now I should note when players do this, there is no intent to injure Di Lorenzo. Basically body checked Messi to the ground and in the end, everyone was fine. The other takeaway I had from this match was we got an opportunity to see Di Lorenzo play with Bernardeschi on the right side. Of course, Bernardeschi is one of the many players we've been linked to this summer and I thought they played okay together despite the poor performance all around from the team. Moving on to the England match, Di Lorenzo and Donnarumma were the only survivors from the Finalissima to play in what was the first match against England since the Euro Finals. I thought he was much better in that match than he was against Argentina, particularly for his contributions in the attack. He made a number of those runs to the back post that we often see at Napoli, and he played some dangerous balls into the area. Unfortunately, on many occasions, no one was able to get on the other end of those crosses. He also played well defensively. I thought he shut down Jack Grealish quite well. Grealish likes to dribble and take on defenders, so Di Lorenzo just jockeyed him, gave him nothing, and forced Grealish to pass the ball away. Finally, back to the point of experimenting with different combinations, I thought Di Lorenzo, Pessina, and Fratesi played quite well together on the right side of the pitch. Let's move on to Matteo Politano next, who played against Germany twice and against Hungary. He played a total of 184 minutes over the three matches, so he averaged about an hour of playing time per match. Unfortunately, he picked up a few knocks along the way. In the first match against Germany, he collided with Thilo Kehr, and while he was down, Alessandro Florenzi inadvertently stepped on the back of his foot. He tried to play through it, but was forced to leave the match a few minutes later. I suspect he would have been replaced either way, and that that knock simply made the decision easier. His replacement was Willy Nonto, who made his Italian debut in that match, and we haven't stopped talking about him since. Politano played only 44 minutes in the return leg against Germany. I presume he had some sort of injury, maybe a muscle injury, because you generally don't make tactical substitutions a minute before the half. But otherwise, I thought Politano played quite well on that right wing. He was very lively and very involved. He played some dangerous balls into the area, both by attacking the byline and by cutting into his preferred left foot. One of those balls was an assist to Pellegrini in the Hungary match. That came after a very direct diagonal run into the area from the right wing. He also nutmegged the defender in the process, so that was a fantastic run. That Hungary match was easily his best performance of the three. He very nearly scored about 10 minutes after the restart in that match. He picked up the ball at the half, carried it the length of the pitch, cut to his left, and smashed the ball into the bar. So all in all, I think it was a good showing for Politano. I think he did enough to warrant another call-up in September, though presumably Chiesa and Berardi will be back by then. It will also depend on how much he plays between now and September. There have been plenty of reports suggesting that Politano is not happy with the timeshare with Lozano at Napoli, and that he possibly wants out of Napoli, so we'll have to wait and see what happens there. Before I wrap up part 1, I should note that the Italian under-21s played a few matches during this international break as well. They played three matches to successfully close their Euro qualification campaign. The Azzurini beat Luxembourg 3-0, drew Sweden 1-1, and thumped Ireland 4-1 to qualify for the final tournament. 
Gianluca Gaetano played 78 minutes in the win over Luxembourg and he scored the third goal. It was actually a lovely goal. He hit the ball first time from the edge of the area and curled it into the top right corner of the goal. And he also played the final five minutes of the draw against Sweden. So that will do for part one. In part two, we'll chat about the other Napoli players in action in the Nations League. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to part two of the Forza Napoli podcast. If you like the show, consider signing up for our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Pod. No pressure though, I'll continue producing pods either way. Let's continue with our recap of the international break. Aside from the Italians, we had six players competing in the Nations League. Two of them were in League A Group 4. Piotr Zielinski played in all four of Poland's matches. In fact, he played the full 90 minutes in the first three matches and 57 minutes in the fourth. Normally, I would not want to see one of our players playing that much over two weeks, especially because it was immediately following the end of the campaign. But as you know, Zielinski didn't play a whole lot in the final month of the season, so he was relatively fresh. Poland's match against Wales was the opening match of the Nations League, and I thought it went really well for Poland. They actually fell behind to Wales before pulling off a dramatic late comeback. Unfortunately, things went downhill for Poland from there. They got thumped by Belgium 6-1 in their following match. Then they blew a 2-0 lead to draw Netherlands 2-2. Now, had you asked Poland before that match if they would have been content with a draw, they probably would have said yes, but the manner in which it happened made it a bitter pill to swallow. Finally, they lost the return leg to Belgium 1-0, but that scoreline was a little bit misleading. Belgium completely dominated the first three quarters of the match. They just struggled to find the back of the goal. In terms of Zielinski's play, I thought it was reminiscent of his play for Napoli this season, which was a little bit disappointing. He would occasionally pop up and dazzle with his footwork, maybe nutmeg a player or two, but for large stretches of these matches, he was almost non-existent. His most disappointing match was probably the return leg against Belgium. He hardly touched the ball and then was substituted out of the match in the 57th minute. Now, in his defense, Poland were completely dominated in the final three matches, so he didn't get a whole lot of touches in those matches. And we all know that Zielinski is most dangerous when he's on the ball. He showed that in these Nations League matches as well. On Poland's lone goal against Belgium, he made a fantastic turn from a throw-in to set up the goal. It was very similar to the assist he got on Merton's goal against Lazio this season, except on this occasion, he made the pass before the pass. He also scored Poland's second goal against the Netherlands. Now, that was probably the easiest goal he's ever scored. All he had to do was tap the ball into the empty goal, but he does deserve credit for joining the attack. If you missed it, the Dutch were playing a high line and they got caught, so Frankowski was clear on goal from just inside the Netherlands half, and then Zielinski joined the attack. Hopefully that goal will give him some confidence, especially after he missed a glorious chance 
in the Wales match. Despite the late drama, the first half of that match was rather dull, and Zielinski had the best chance of the half very early on. In the fifth minute, he got a free header from the edge of the six-yard box, and he tried to place the ball into the bottom corner, but he narrowly missed the target. I think if anyone needs a physical and mental break from football, it is probably Piotr Zielinski. Hopefully, he can take some time off, recharge, put the second half of last season behind him, and show up to Di Mauro ready for a strong 2022-23 campaign. Staying in Ligue A Group 4, Dries Mertens was called up to the Belgian national team. Sandwiched between those two wins over Poland were a 4-1 loss to the Netherlands and a 1-1 draw to Wales, so Belgium are currently second in the group on 7 points, 3 points back of the Netherlands. Like at Napoli, Mertens did not feature as one of Belgium's regular starters, which suggests he'll probably be a bench option in the World Cup. Given his positional flexibility, I think he's still quite valuable to that Belgian national team, just as he is, or maybe was, for Napoli. He played the second half against the Netherlands, replacing Eden Hazard at the break, and he played 80 minutes in the return leg against Poland. With four matches over two weeks, most teams rotated their squads for the final match, and I think that's why Mertens got to start there. When he did play, I thought he was very impressive. Against the Netherlands, he was very lively and very involved. He was cautioned only two minutes after coming on the pitch. He played a lovely, delicate through ball to Leandro Trossard to create an excellent chance, but Sigurdsson made a fine save on that occasion. Sigurdsson foiled Mertens himself around the hour mark. It was a very similar play to the goal Mertens scored against Inter this season where he hit the ball from about 25 yards out and it was dipping and bending on its way to the goal. He was a bit more precise in the Inter match though. Against the Netherlands, he got too much of the goal and Sigurdsson made the save. And then with about 10 minutes left in the match, he made a run into the right side of the area and smashed the ball into the upright. So despite the lopsided scoreline, I thought Mertens played quite well. I thought he also had a good match against Poland. He wasn't as involved around the goal, but he worked hard this time playing on the right wing, again showing his flexibility. Even though the final score was 1-0, it was nearly as dominant of a performance as the 6-1 win. Belgium pressed high and counter-pressed, so Poland struggled to keep hold of the ball, and Mertens played his role in that. But it was Mertens' comments before this match that got more attention than his play on the field. I'm sure you've seen the comments by now, but in case you didn't, he said, I just want to make the best possible choice for my tomorrow. I haven't made any choices yet. I hope to be able to do so as soon as possible. So that part's not bad. It certainly does not rule out signing an extension with Napoli. But then when he was asked specifically about Napoli, he said, I thought I'd stay in Napoli. It's strange, but I haven't heard from the club. That's what got Napoli fans worried because it sounds as though the club is pushing him out. I'm still 50-50 on whether Mertens will extend. After these comments, maybe I'm leaning more towards him departing from the club. But I also think this is just the latest in what has become a very public negotiation. De Laurentiis made it public when he stated that Mertens and Koulibaly need to choose between the vile currency and their love for Napoli. Once De Laurentiis did that, everything became fair game. The reports are that Mertens is representing himself in the negotiation with the help of a lawyer, so this could have been Mertens' way of defending himself and putting the pressure back on De Laurentiis to come forward with an offer. We're now only a week or two from the end of his contract, depending on when you're listening to this, so I suspect we'll have a resolution one way or the other before the end of June. 
Let's move on to League C Group 2 next, where Amir Rahmani was representing Kosovo. Kosovo picked up two wins and two losses in their four matches. Unfortunately, the team that beat them, Greece, also won their other two matches. They had a perfect 4-0-0 record during this international break. That means Greece is six points clear of Kosovo, and because they beat Kosovo in both fixtures, they've already secured top of the table. Kosovo will need just one point from their two matches in September to avoid relegation to League D. Amir Rachmani played the full 90 minutes in all four of those matches. In fact, he wore the captain's armband in all four matches, bringing his total to 18 matches as the captain of Kosovo. I thought Rachmani's play was representative of Kosovo's play over the four matches. When Kosovo won, he tended to play really well, and when Kosovo lost, he wasn't his best. He didn't have a whole lot to do against Cyprus because Kosovo dominated that match. He did make a couple of important tackles and on a few occasions he used his body to disrupt the Cyprus attempts at goal. Rachmani's most important tackle was in the 78th minute as it led directly to the second goal. He won the ball about 10 meters inside the Kosovo half. That high line was clearly a feature of the Kosovar defensive setup and three passes later the ball was in the back of the goal. Rachmani nearly scored a goal of his own about 10 minutes prior from a set piece. The ball was crossed into the area and the initial effort hit the upright. The ball fell awkwardly to Rachmani only a few feet away from the goal but he wasn't able to nudge it into the back of the goal. He also came close to scoring in the first meeting against Greece but his header from the set piece was well stopped by the keeper. For a center back, Rachmani has been fairly prolific on the international stage. That would have been his seventh goal in 43 appearances. Likewise, I think he played well in the win over Northern Ireland. One thing that stood out to me, not only in this match, but in all of Kosovo's Nations League matches, was how good Rachmani is at distributing the ball. I haven't really noticed this in his time at Napoli, perhaps because at Napoli, Koulibaly usually distributes the ball from the back, and maybe that's where he picked it up from, but Rachmani played a number of very accurate long balls to his attacking teammates. Of course, with his size, he is a dominant presence in either team's area. I mentioned his goal-scoring prowess with the national team. Most of those goals have been headers from set pieces. Likewise, Rachmani wins a lot of headers in his own area to clear the danger. Now, he didn't exactly have his best performances in the matches against Greece. In the first meeting, he was late on a tackle on Petros Mantolas. Rachmani probably wishes the official called the foul there. Instead, he played a good advantage and the play concluded with a goal for Greece. That was the only goal in what turned out to be a 1-0 defeat for Kosovo. Greece nearly scored a second just past the hour mark and Rachmani got beat on that play as well. And then with 15 minutes left to play, he was cautioned for what I assume was dissent. Whatever he did happened off camera, so I'm not exactly sure what he did there. Now, as far as I can tell, he didn't make any glaring errors in the return leg against Greece. Actually, he made a couple of fine defensive plays in that match. Neither of the goals were his fault. We did have a scare about two-thirds into that match after a Greek player trotted on the back of Rachmani's foot. He stayed down for a while and had to receive treatment, but ultimately he was able to play through it. So all in all, I would say it was a good showing for Rachmani. Greece are clearly the strongest nation in the group, but I think Kosovo are deservedly in second, and Rachmani is leading the way. Let's close part 2 by reviewing Stanislav Lobotka's play for Slovakia in League C Group 3. Slovakia picked up wins over Belarus and Azerbaijan, but lost both of their matches against Kazakhstan. 
Kazakhstan were the surprise of the group, winning 3 and drawing 1 to collect 10 points through the first 4 matches. Labotka started the first 3 matches and then he was given a much needed break for the return leg against Kazakhstan. He played 89 minutes against Belarus, that was because he cramped up at the end of the match. With Slovakia up a goal to nil, I imagine that substitution also served as an opportunity to kill a little bit of time as well. He played the full 90 minutes in Slovakia's 1-0 loss to Kazakhstan, and then he played 75 minutes in their 1-0 win over Azerbaijan. In the first two matches, he played as the Regista in a 4-1-4-1 formation, and against Azerbaijan, he played as one of the pivots in the 4-4-2. I thought Slovakia's best performance was against Belarus. Belarus played a very conservative 5-4-1 formation and just sat back even after Slovakia opened the scoring. That didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. As a result, Slovakia had most of the ball and so as a regista, Lobotka got plenty of touches. That was exacerbated by the fact that Slovakia played a very patient style which meant a lot of horizontal passes in front of that red wall of Belarus players. Naturally, with Belarus playing a low block, their only hope of scoring would come from the counterattack, and I thought Lobotka did a good job of supporting his backline in that regard. Now as Napoli fans know, with his low center of gravity and excellent close ball control, Lobotka is able to turn quickly and dribble out of trouble. He also draws a lot of fouls, sometimes in dangerous areas, which we saw against Azerbaijan. Now he didn't get too many touches in the return leg against Kazakhstan, but he did plenty of directing in that match, often pointing to the open man. The biggest challenge Lobotka has on the international stage is that he doesn't have enough talent around him, particularly in the attack. Slovakia scored only three goals over their four Nations League matches. I would have liked to see Slovakia play a formation that allowed Lobotka to get forward more. Unfortunately, in a 4-1-4-1, he can't join the attack without abandoning his back line. He did make one foray forward against Kazakhstan. He received the ball from a throw-in, drove towards the edge of the area and went for a goal, but his shot finished just over the bar. That's something Napoli fans would have liked to see. We all saw the goal he scored against Genoa, and if he can add a few goals to his game, he could become one of the best central midfielders in all of Serie A. That will do for part 2. In part 3, we'll recap the rest of the action from this international break. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to part 3 of the Forza Napoli podcast. We'll round out the Nations League with the performances of two Napoli players in League C Group 4. Let's start with the play of Javicha Kvaraskhelia for Georgia. Now, he's still not officially a Napoli player, but in all likelihood we'll get the official announcement from the club on July 1st. By the way, thank you to everyone who listened to and shared our interview with Luka Lagvilava on Kvaraskhelia. That episode was really popular and I've received a ton of positive feedback, so thank you again. Amongst other things, we talked about Kvaraskhelia's playing style in that pod, but I think this round of Nations League matches gave us a good sense of what he's capable of. 
Georgia were the surprise of Group 4, finishing with three wins and one draw. They beat Gibraltar 4-0, Bulgaria 5-2, and North Macedonia 3-0. So in their first three matches, they outscored their opponents 12-2. Finally, they closed the international break with a 0-0 draw in the return leg against Bulgaria. So Georgia are top of the table on 10 points, 3 points clear of North Macedonia. Kvaraschelia started all four matches, but he only played the full 90 minutes in the return leg against Bulgaria. He averaged about 70 minutes in the first three matches, which was a luxury he was afforded because Georgia had such big leads in those matches. Of the 12 goals Georgia scored, Kvaraschelia scored three and assisted two. He had plenty of other opportunities to score as well, including a couple of attempts that were cleared off the line. Against Gibraltar, he scored a gorgeous dink over the keeper and then played a perfect cross from a free kick to assist on the second goal. In the Bulgaria match, he played a perfect lob into the area for Davitashvili to head into the back of the goal. That was only four minutes into that match. He later won a penalty and converted it to make the score 4-1. What I really liked was how he won the penalty there. He had the ball in the area and lost it, but he fought to win it back and ultimately drew the foul. Finally, against North Macedonia, he was the benefactor of some poor goalkeeping, but he also made a very confident dribble past the defender, and the shot had plenty of venom behind it. Now, I won't spend too much time on Kvaraschelia because most of it was discussed already in our interview with Luca, but I do want to reiterate some of his qualities that stood out in these four matches. The first is that, while he's been scoring quite a bit of late, both for the Georgian national team and for Dinamo Batumi, his real value is in his movement and his ability to pass the ball. He has incredible pace, so like Chucky Lozano, he draws a lot of fouls and a lot of yellow cards. However, unlike Lozano, he also has a very, very, very good touch. There was a play in the North Macedonia match where he picked up the ball in midfield, and even though he had the ball at his feet and the players chasing him did not, they simply could not keep up with him. That also speaks to his technical abilities, which were on display in these matches as well. He made numerous dribbles, flicks, dummies, and back heels, but the one that stood out the most was the dribble before the goal in that North Macedonia match. I think that defender is still trying to figure out where Kvaraschelia is after that play. Now, I mentioned his passing. Kvaraschelia takes just about all the corner kicks and set pieces for Georgia. That's an area Napoli could improve upon. Insignia's deliveries weren't exactly the greatest. Kvaraschelia's set pieces may be somewhat predictable in that you know he's going to whip the ball into the area, but a good delivery is very dangerous whether you know it's coming or not, especially when you have a player like Victor Osiman lurking in the area. Now, he's not just a good crosser of the ball, his creativity shows up as much in his passing as it does in his dribbling, and he has great vision. We saw him play delicate chips into the area, passes with the outside of his boot, backheel passes, and on occasion, he'd play a through ball that just did not appear to be on. Another quality we talked to Luca about was his confidence and willingness to take on defenders. That can be both good and bad. It's great that he's confident and he clearly has the skills to get past players, but it's bad if he does it too much. At Dinamo Batumi, it's fine for him to dribble past two or three players, but he won't be able to do it so easily in Serie A. Even in these Nations League matches, there were times where he overdid it with the dribble when he would have been better off making the pass. That's something he'll have to learn as he adapts to playing in Serie A. 
The last quality that stood out was one I often saw written about in articles and player profiles of Paratelia, and that is that he likes to pick up the ball on the left wing, cut to his right, and go for the Tiragiro. From the videos we've seen in the Georgian league, he's certainly capable of scoring with the Tiragiro. Unfortunately, it didn't come off in the Nations League, and sometimes when the Tiragiro goes wrong, it can look really, really bad. So there's plenty to be excited about with Kvaraskhelia, but as Lucas suggested, we need to be patient and give him some time to adapt to playing in Italy. In the meantime, we have other players who could start the season on the left wing. One of them is Eli Felmas, who is one of the big names in the North Macedonian squad. I think it's fair to say that North Macedonia had a disappointing international break. They were the favorites to win this group, but they only managed two wins, a draw, and a loss, and the two wins were against the weakest team in the group. They won those matches by a combined score of 6-0, but they drew Bulgaria 1-1 and they lost to Georgia 3-0, so they find themselves three points back of Georgia in the group. They still have to play the return leg against Georgia, but after that lopsided loss in the first match, North Macedonia will be relying on Gibraltar to steal points from Georgia, and I just don't see that happening. Elmas started all four matches for North Macedonia. He played a total of 313 minutes, which is just under 80 minutes per match. Like I said about Zielinski, normally I wouldn't want to see that after such a long season, but Elmas was predominantly used as a substitute at Napoli, so I think he had plenty of gas in the tank. Like at Napoli, Elmas was used in a variety of different positions. Against Bulgaria and Georgia, he played on the right side of the midfield in a 4-4-2, in the first meeting against Gibraltar, he played on the left side of the midfield in the 4-4-2, and in the return leg, he played as one of the pivots in a 3-4-1-2. Apparently, he was doubtful for that return leg, so that might have been a compromise to play him in the pivot. Central midfielders cover a lot of ground, but the running in the center of the midfield is not as intense as the running on the wings. It also helped that North Macedonia scored four goals in the opening half hour of that match, so he could take it easy for the balance of the match. He did play a bit higher up the pitch after Enes Bardi was taken out at the half. Bardi completely stole the show in the first half, by the way. And with that change, Elmas got to wear the captain's armbands for about 35 minutes, which was nice to see. Now, with all eyes on Kvaraskhelia, Elmas did not get as much attention as he normally does. I suspect we're going to see a lot of comparisons between these two players because they do have a lot in common. They both play on the wing, but like to roam, and they're both very technical players. I think Kvaraskhelia might have a more accurate finish, but few players outrun Elmas when he is on the pitch. That's one thing you can never hold against him. I flip-flopped this season on whether we should keep Elmas or sell him, but one of the arguments for keeping him is definitely his work rate. He may sometimes underperform expectations, but he always leaves everything he has on the pitch. I thought he struggled to get into the Bulgaria match, but because he worked so hard, he still made a difference. He didn't officially get an assist on the equalizer, but it was his block at the edge of the Bulgaria area that led to the goal. Now, it was definitely a frustrating match for him. I mentioned his finishing. He had a couple of free shots, but he wasn't able to hit the target. On a couple of occasions, he went to ground in the area, and wasn't given the foul. He eventually lost it on the official and was cautioned, though he was also fortunate to not be sent off for how aggressive he was being with the official. Going back to the comparison to Kvaraskhelia, we were treated to a match between these two young stars 
during this international break. Kvaratskhelia scored in the match, but I thought both of them played really well, so as a Napoli fan, I'm really looking forward to seeing them on the pitch together. So that was the Nations League. We had four players in action for AFCON qualifiers. Kalidou Koulibaly represented Senegal, Victor Osimhen representing Nigeria, Andre Frank Zambuangisa representing Cameroon, and Adam Unas representing Algeria. Now, these reviews will be a bit shorter for a variety of reasons. For one, Senegal, Nigeria, Cameroon, and Algeria are all amongst the strongest nations in Africa, so these are fairly one-sided affairs. Second, unlike Nations League, where each team played four matches, during this round of AFCON qualifiers, each team played only two matches. In fact, Cameroon played only one match, as their match against Kenya was cancelled. Kenya and Zimbabwe were removed from AFCON 2023 qualifiers after failing to overturn suspensions imposed on them by FIFA for, quote, undue interference by a third party. So let's start with Koulibaly, who played the full 90 minutes in Senegal's Group L wins over Benin and Rwanda. He wore the captain's armband in both matches, so he's now up to 18 matches as the captain. As I mentioned, Senegal dominated these matches. They beat Benin 3-1 and Rwanda 1-0. They actually struggled to break down a very resolute Rwandan backline and needed a penalty kick in the 8th minute of stoppage time to win that match, but Senegal had the ball for the entire match. The stats for the match are not available on the official AFCON site, but according to Flash Score, Senegal had 74% ball possession, so naturally, Koulibaly had very little to do in the match. He had a bit more to do in the Benin match. Koulibaly was given the task of marking breast striker Steve Mounier. Aside from one big chance for Mounier, Koulibaly achieved that goal. That one chance came in the 37th minute after Melvin Doramus picked out Mounier perfectly between Koulibaly and Yusuf Sabali. Mounier hit the target, but Edouard Mendy bailed out his defenders on that occasion. Now, Koulibaly was somewhat at fault on Benin's late consolation goal. It wasn't entirely his fault by any means. He won the ball in the buildup, but it wasn't the most convincing tackle and Benin got the ball back and then eventually scored. That goal really didn't mean a whole lot, though Senegal were already up 3-0 with only a few minutes left to play. Also, Koulibaly was involved in the buildup to Sadio Mane's second goal in the match. That play began with Koulibaly switching the play to Mane on the right wing. Like I said earlier, Koulibaly is very good at distributing the ball from the back. Mane played a give-and-go with Leicester City midfielder Nampolis Mendy before eventually scoring on his own rebound. So it was fairly smooth sailing for Koulibaly and his Senegal side. Speaking of smooth sailing, Victor Osimhen represented Nigeria in Group A qualifiers. Fubo has the rights in Canada, but for some reason they did not show either of Nigeria's matches. I would have thought Nigeria alone would have been a big enough draw, but I suspect the matches weren't shown because Nigeria's opponents were Sierra Leone and Sao Tome and Principe. I doubt many people outside of Africa, myself included, are familiar with Sao Tome and Principe, but Sierra Leone are no slouch. In fact, Sierra Leone opened the scoring in that match. That goal actually came moments after Victor missed a couple of chances. The first was a free header on a cross from the left wing that narrowly missed the target, and the second was from a through ball into the area, but he sliced the shot wide of the mark. Victor did get his retribution in the 41st minute though. Ola Aina played a deep cross into the area from the right wing. Moses Simon had the ball back across the face of the goal, and Victor stretched to volley in the go-ahead goal. 
Victor had a couple more chances in the second half, but he wasn't able to take them. He also should have gotten an assist after he put the ball on a platter for Samuel Chukwezi, but somehow he missed the target. As always, Victor was very involved in the attack, and in the end, Nigeria held on for the 2-1 victory. I'm really sorry I did not get to watch the Sao Tome and Principe match because Nigeria won the match by a ridiculous score of 10-0. Victor scored four goals and assisted two in that match. The first two goals were headers from inside the six-yard box, and on the second two, he got behind the Sao Tome and Principe back line. On the fourth goal, he finished with a lovely dink over the keeper who came out to challenge. The scary thing is Victor probably could have scored more goals in the match, including the 10th goal, which was scored from the spot. Now, Victor is the designated penalty taker for Nigeria, but he passed up the penalty to allow Emmanuel Dennis to get onto the score sheet, which I think says a lot about Victor's character. Victor is now up to 15 goals and 23 appearances for his country, and three of those appearances were only 45 minutes or less. It's also worth noting that Victor finally removed the protective face mask for that Sao Tome and Principe match, so it was great to see him score twice with his head. As I tweeted, while I recognize this was a very weak opponent, I'm going to deduce from this performance that he is even better without the mask on. Let's move on to Andre Frank Zamboangisa next. As I said, Cameroon played only one match during this international break, which was a 1-0 win over Burundi. Angisa was rocking a new hairstyle for this match, which is basically a longer version of the hairstyle we're accustomed to seeing. There were a couple of things worth noting in this match. One was that Cameroon won a free kick in a dangerous area early in the match, and Angisa took the direct free kick. He ultimately missed the target and didn't take any more free kicks, but I mention it because a little while ago he posted a video on Instagram taking free kicks with Elmas after training. They had a wall set up and Angisa was hitting banger after banger up and over the wall and into the top corner. So I wonder if he'll be more involved in set pieces next season, especially with the Insignia gone and Mertens possibly leaving as well. Another thing worth noting was that Angisa played in his more natural position for this match. He played as one of the two central midfielders in the Cameroon 4-4-2. That's a very similar role to the pivot he plays in for Napoli. In the last AFCON, he played a bit higher up the pitch, and I didn't think it suited him very well. Like Koulibaly's 1-0 win over Rwanda, this was a fairly dominant 1-0 win for Nguisa over Burundi. Cameroon had 63% ball possession. Finally, I'm sure it was a somewhat frustrating match for Nguisa because the officiating wasn't particularly good. In the 20th minute, he drew a professional foul. There was a clear tug on the shirt, but somehow the Burundi player was not cautioned. Then just past the hour mark, Ngisa was on the receiving end of a very heavy tackle. And not only was the yellow card not given, the foul wasn't given either. Ngisa was absolutely livid after that, and I think he was right to be. The final player we had in AFCON qualifiers was Adam Unas representing Algeria in Group F. Unas played a total of 66 minutes over Algeria's back-to-back wins over Uganda and Tanzania. Both of those matches finished 2-0 for Algeria. Unas came off the bench to play the final 21 minutes against Uganda and he played the first half against Tanzania. 
I was surprised that Unas did not play more over these two matches. Rashid Getzal started on the right wing for the Uganda match. The ex-Fiorentina player is currently playing for Besiktas in the Turkish Superliga. Then in the Tanzania match, he was replaced by Mohamed Amura, who plays for FC Lugano in the Swiss League. The Tanzania match was a bit of a reminder of why Napoli fans were so excited about Unas. He's a creative player, he has a great touch, and when he's on, he can be a very dangerous player. I think the issue is, at Napoli, he's just too far down in the pecking order. On the right wing, he's a third option at best, behind Lozano and either Politano or Delofeu, assuming we sign him. As with any player, he's at his best when he plays regularly. That's why he had a good season for Crotone, and I think that's why he can be a good player for newly promoted Monza, who he has been linked to of late. Finally, Unas played about half an hour in Algeria's friendly match against Iran. Let's close the pod with the play of Matthias Oliveira in international friendlies for Uruguay. Uruguay beat Mexico 3-0, drew the USA 0-0, and beat Panama 5-0, so it was a very positive international break for them. Two wins, one draw, no losses, eight goals for, and no goals conceded. Unfortunately, I did not have access to these matches. I managed to find a choppy stream for the second half of the Mexico match, but I did not catch the others. Now, we did cover his play in the Mexico and USA matches, with David from Uruguayan Warriors two episodes ago, so if you haven't listened to that one, be sure to check it out. The big story from the Panama match, for Napoli fans at least, was that Oliveira left the match with a knee injury. He went down in pain and left the pitch in tears, which is not something you ever want to see, and usually it's an indication of a long-term injury. Fortunately, tests revealed that he only suffered a knee sprain, which takes about three weeks to recover from one week of rest, followed by two weeks of rehab. Speaking to Sport 890, Oliveira said he tried to play through it, and when he heard a little crunch in his knee, he got really scared, so he was grateful that it's only a sprain. He said Napoli was also very concerned when they saw the images and how he reacted, but now they are calm, and he is in contact with them every day. He also confirmed that he will be in Napoli on July the 4th, which implies that he will be with the squad for the retreat at Di Maro, which commences on July the 9th. So that will do for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with a friend and give us a rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5. And you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Patreon, and Substack at Fortsanopoly Pod. I should have one more episode before we wrap up Season 3. That will be dedicated to the Napoli Primavera and some players there to keep an eye on. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre! Podcast Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.